from Forth. This is So What Do You Do? podcast. When someone tells you what they do for work, do you ever secretly think, okay, but what do you actually do? I'm Ellie, and you, my friend, are in the right place. We interview everyday professionals from all positions in all industries. So sit back, relax, and learn where you too can thrive in a nine to five. In the time that we've sat here, I have five missed calls. <laughs> I have... We've been talking for 25 minutes, everybody. <laughs> I have gotten one offer on a property. Wow. Um, several emails, several text messages. So that's in the blip of 20 minutes. What? Wow. Like. Putting yourself in a situation where you have to play to that level mm-hmm. and you have to talk with that acumen and have that confidence that will build your comp- your confidence and your skills unlike any other peer-to-peer networking situation. Right. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to So What Do You Do podcast, and I have Will with me today. So, Will, without any further ado, introduce yourself and let us know what do you do. All right. So, yes, my name is Will Chadwick, and... Currently, I am a retail specialist um, for a commercial real estate company. Okay. Retail specialist for a commercial real estate company. That's correct. Awesome. Okay. So before we jump into what is that and what do you actually do, let's talk a little bit about your background so my listeners can understand how you got to this place. So tell us maybe where you went to school, what you studied, and then that first job out of college. Okay. So I'm originally from Shreveport, Louisiana. And I moved to Baton Rouge to go to Louisiana State University. And I got here. I had no plans of what I wanted to study necessarily other than I thought business was most likely to align with what I was good at. Mm -hmm. And my first job was working with an apartment complex as a marketer, which began as me handing out koozies on game day (laughs) and ultimately moved to trying to brand this new community. It was the first lifestyle apartment complex, which yeah. you see a lot now of the pools and the volleyball courts and kind of catering to that uh, clientele. And it was the first one to come to Baton Rouge. So we were in charge of branding and marketing and trying to get it out to the public and then ultimately awesome. leasing those properties um, to students as well. Cool. So did you have any experience in that? Like, did you, I don't know, were you an RA? Were you interested in kind of that uh, management, I don't know what you call it, but you know, that yeah. management system. No, honestly, when I got to college, I, uh, I realized I was spending way too much money too fast and I had to get a job ASAP. And I found this job on Facebook, which at the time Facebook was big, not near as big as it is now, mm-hmm. but, uh, they were posting about it and I just needed, I needed a job right then. And so they could, they asked me if I could start that day. I said, yes. And then through that, I found a really a passion for marketing um, that was ultimately what I ended up studying. So through that job, I, uh, I special or I majored in marketing okay. at LSU. And then through college, I probably had, I would say six to eight jobs of brand management, uh, student marketing. Sure. Um, and like ambassador stuff, maybe for, for different brands. Yeah. Um, I worked with Coca-Cola doing their coca-cola lsu student marketing we do like game day events and then through that worked with a couple other brands southern tide was a clothing brand yeah Uh, they ultimately all came together and i could do events 
that highlighted all the brands that I was working with as a marketer. But it was just strictly marketing, branding, that type of work, all the way until I went to graduate four years later. Okay. And I started to try and find a job, and I realized that I could not make the money I thought I was planning to make after school Mm -hmm. at any of the jobs that I was applying for. So I ended up having a few offers out of school, but... um, pay I don't the pay was much lower than I anticipated mm-hmm. so I really stepped back thought what I should do to bring me up to speed where I need to be and I ended up deciding to go to straight into business school okay so I went straight into LSU's MBA program full-time okay so two more full years of business school at LSU okay so okay so that's I love that because it sounds like the experience you got kind of allowed you to confirm yes I like this yes marketing is for me but then even still when you graduated you had some opportunities but nothing was either a extremely attractive it sounds like but then also financially not what you were looking for so then you decided to do MBA and I love getting this perspective because that's not always the case and and I get varying pieces of advice all the time like should I go to business school right away should I wait for you are you glad that you did that? Do you feel like it ended up paying out? I talked with countless people, mentors, teachers, business professionals about that exact dilemma. And honestly, it was a 50-50 decision for me. Mm-hmm. Most people would tell you that you have to have some business experience to really get everything out of business school that you should. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at that point, you should be able to apply the concepts that you're learning to past experiences and how you could have done them better how you might have changed your uh, strategy behind those. Mm -hmm. And so I I think I was able to tap into my work that I did because Mm -hmm. I I did work a good bit in undergrad. Um, Had I not done that, I don't know that it would have been as meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. And then also just the MBA program, it's much more, um, you're submersed in it. It is all day, every day. You live at the business school. You really create this cohort of classmates and everybody's Mm -hmm. on the same page that you're here, you're paying more than you already paid to go to school mm-hmm. and you're trying to get everything you can out of it. So you build this group, a network of folks that are all driven and they're all working towards the same goal. Mm-hmm. That was, that network is still paying dividends today. For right. Me. So I think the network alone probably makes it worth it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it is important to consider whether or not you want, I mean, if you have an opportunity out of undergrad that really fulfills everything you're looking for, I think that, I would have gone that route mm-hmm. possibly and gone back to business school later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the time, it was the best option for me. Yeah. And I, I want to call out what you said, and I completely agree. Mm-hmm. Having experience, any kind of un- experience under your belt and being able to reflect on that in business school. I've never been to business school, but that's really the main sentiment that I hear across everyone who's been, whether it's online or in person or you know full-time, whatever. It's like, you have to have something. And for you, like you mentioned before, you had had five, six plus jobs where you were working really hard and you were really submersed. So you did have that experience. It's not like you never had an internship or anything to really take with you into business school. So I think to your point, that's like the main thread Um, for those listeners who are kind of teetering on the fence. My recommendation would be if you feel that you it's going to elevate your career and you have some background to kind of reflect on, then go. Um, If you have other opportunities to leave 
school and go get more experience and then go back to business school, great too. But I do think it cruxes on that experience level. It does. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So you went to business school. So then what happened right after that? What did you do in your career? Did you move, et cetera? Yeah. And this actually ties into my decision to go to business school. So being from Shreveport, Louisiana, my dad, my most of the economy in the North Louisiana area, and even my grandfather and further than that was all in oil and gas. Mm-hmm. And it was something that always really interested me. Um, I knew there's a lot of potential. There's a lot of wealth. There's a lot of entrepreneurship, excitement, risk. It was just an industry that I was always attracted to. And when I tried to break into that industry with a marketing degree, it was very evident that they're not looking to hire marketing majors. It's in STEM-based companies. Mm-hmm. They want engineers. They want finance numbers people. And so I thought, well, if I could get an MBA, sharpen my finance skills, that type of background, then that might provide some path into an oil and gas company. Mm-hmm. So actually within the first month of me being in business school, I started applying and interviewing with Chevron. Okay. And so ultimately I was able to secure an internship with Chevron um, in their land department. And so fast forward, I accepted an offer. That was my first job was as a land representative with Chevron okay. working in Houston. Great. Um, so what a land representative yeah, is. Yeah, fill us in, please. That was my next question. <laughs> of course. So it's... The, the, they're more often called land landmen. So mm-hmm. a landman would be the guy that negotiates the contracts between an oil company and either the landowners or maybe another company, and you're the actual deal maker mm-hmm. uh, to get the rights to drill on land to procure the oil. So my specific area was in Eddy County, New Mexico. So I covered Chevron's assets that were in Eddy County, New Mexico, and so when we would identify possible reserves where they think oil is located, mm-hmm. we then would go out and negotiate with the actual person that owns the land that is on top of where we believe the oil to be. Wow. And we would negotiate the right to go into their land to drill through their land that they own and then ultimately extract the oil from that land. Wow. I had no idea that that was like a technical role with some of these companies where you're going in and you're making deals with these landowners. Like you said, they could be people, they could be companies, et cetera. Wow, that's got to be, it feels like that would be a high pressure job. It, so the oil, uh, being a commodity, you see oil prices fluctuate. And so it's very much a product of what the market is. So when oil is really high and people are making a lot of money, yeah, there's a lot of things happening. And at the same time, when oil crashes and it's really low, margins are tight, and you have to consider that too. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely a fast-paced job. It is a people-to-people negotiating. You're on the phone all day mm-hmm. um, trying to be creative because you, I mean, and one day I could talk with a, uh, a farmer that has a big plot of land that has great-granddads passed down to him. And then in the same breath, you can go and you can talk with another major oil and gas company that maybe they own the land mm-hmm. next to it. So you have to have the ability to change your uh, your approach because it's obviously a different conversation sure. between a farmer and an executive at an oil company. Yeah. Um, and there is a different ways you could do the deals. You could negotiate directly. Um, you could buy the land. Even had some situations where you mm-hmm. would trade land. Like think Interesting, about it. yeah. Like, a, like fantasy football. Like, <laughs> hey, like you're... Your land right here is more valuable to us than it is to you, but we have this land over here that really works better with you. Why don't yeah. we just exchange them, swap them? Wow. And so there's a lot of different ways that 
deals were structured. It was an incredible experience. Very strategic, very yes. much a problem solving role. Okay, interesting. So you were in that role in Houston. Correct. Um, obviously, you're back here in Baton Rouge now doing something in the real estate space. So why don't you talk a little bit about how you got here from there, why maybe a little bit, and then that can lead us to what you actually do today. Yeah. So it's always been important for me to to maintain a, a common thread mm-hmm. through my jobs. Um, I wanted to be able to paint the picture to myself, but also other employers, the natural path mm-hmm. that my career has taken. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the time, I was in Houston. I really enjoyed it. We had a ton of friends that were from Baton Rouge over in Houston working in oil and gas. It was a great time to be over there. And my now wife was finishing school in New Orleans, and we ultimately decided together to move back to Baton Rouge so that we could ultimately get married, Mm -hmm. which we did a couple years ago. Nice. Um, So I put my feelers out for probably six months, um, coming back to Baton Rouge for football games, interviewing with people on Friday, going to the game on Saturday, a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails, a lot of networking, and ultimately I took a job with a company called Premier Health. Okay. Um, I was a market development analyst when I came back. So the quick and dirty on that is Mm -hmm. that uh, Premier Health is a company that partners with hospital systems to build out their urgent care portfolios. Okay. So um, in Baton Rouge, the main um, urgent care is Lake After Hours. Mm -hmm. So that's a joint venture between Premier Health and Our Lady of the Lake. Oh, okay. Premier Health goes in and they brand under the health system, but then they operate, they scale, they do the, the startup side of it mm-hmm. um, to get the portfolio up and running. Well, they needed a person to come in and handle the real estate side of that. And so Premier Health at the time had about 50 urgent cares okay. that they were uh, operating in. I came on to help scale that business and handle the real estate site selection lease negotiation side of that. Gotcha. So I'm like definitely sensing a theme. And like you said, you wanted to kind of have a single thread or a thread that ran through your career. So to paint it way back, you know, you were in that kind of leasing, student housing, but management side, right? And promotion and marketing, which is really your degree and your background. Moving into this land, what was it called? Land... Land, a land man. A land man yeah. role, um, which has to do with space and real estate, but more so just the land of the real estate, right? But then moving that into a completely different industry, which I love, by the way. I love switching up industries. I think it's great for your career. Moving back to Baton Rouge and really dealing with almost like the construction and real estate of these healthcare systems or urgent cares, right? right. Is, am I tracking correctly? Yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so it was... Very similar skill set, very similar goals, mm-hmm. uh, but like I said, in Houston, it was below the ground. Yeah. Right? It was below ground real estate. Yeah. The oil is, and then when I came to Baton Rouge, it was focusing on the buildings themselves. Yeah. The, what you would consider to be more typical real estate. Right, exactly. Um, more standard. Yeah. So the whole time that I, right when I was finishing business school, I got my real estate license. Okay. Because I saw a lot of friends buying houses. I knew I was going to buy a house. Mm-hmm. You do some quick math about what it costs to get a real estate license, and you realize that if you represent yourself in a transaction, you probably more than pay for your license. Right. You pick up a couple of friends, well, you know, you've got a little side hustle, yep. I guess. So yeah. that was my goal with that, and I kept it current the whole time. When I came back, 
it was actually putting a lot of the things I had learned through the licensing process into play. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so when I came back, it was uh, great to be back in Baton Rouge. It was highly recommend leaving your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably the best thing that I've done personally and professionally because when I came back, I saw a part of Baton Rouge that I had never seen in the LSU bubble mm-hmm. that exists near campus. Uh, you see ideas and concepts that work in a city that I would come to find out were a few years, Baton Rouge was a few years behind. Mm-hmm. So things that were very commonplace over there, I come back to Baton Rouge and all of a sudden I start seeing those things pop up. Uh, think Topcoff, right? Yep. Like Topcoff was a foreign concept to Baton Rouge, but it had been in Houston for 10 or 15 years. Yeah, absolutely. So it was an incredible experience. The network that I gained over there, the experiences that I gained there and the insights were really invaluable. I mean, they, I couldn't tell you how much they played into where I am today. Yes. Yes. And something I'm going to add to that. And I, I, my students hate me for this, so I'm just going to preface that. But I 1000% agree that moving is one of the best things you can do for your career, just from a mindset perspective. And I tell my students all the time, don't pick your job because it's the hot new city you want to live in. Like moving anywhere is going to do that for you. Like you said, it could be Houston. It could be Austin. It could be Atlanta. It could be anywhere where the opportunity is, but don't pick your job for the city. Don't pick it to be in New York or to be in San Francisco. I just feel that, you know, in your twenties, right out of school, you're just trying to learn as much as you can. And those opportunities aren't always in the big flashy, sexy cities. Um, so I love, but, but I do recommend moving. I mean, I think if the opportunity exists, jump on it, learn as much as you can. Um, for my audience and my listeners, they know that's kind of what brought me to Baton Rouge. And it's been incredible for not only my career and my husband's career, but for our family, for our life. So I totally agree. Um, and I would echo your sentiment. Um, and I agree with what you said when you move the, while the city is a big part and it probably plays a role in it, the, when you think about the duties of your job, mm-hmm. the boss that you're going to have, mm-hmm. as I'm sure a lot of people, I'm sure it's a common thread, but how important having a boss yep. that's willing to invest in you, but then the exposure that you're going to get in the job. So if you sense it's going to be, you're going to be pigeonholed into a certain spot, you know, at an early age, yeah, gaining that broad exposure and touching a little bit of everything in an industry is really important. Yes. Opportunity and experience potential over paycheck over city over cool city to live in absolutely so speaking of cool cities you move back to baton rouge um so tell us a little bit about what do you actually do so again for our listeners restate your job description and walk us through maybe like an average day um for those listeners that couldn't hear his phone was just buzzing in the background and he said I'm, I'll be shocked if I don't get a phone call during this interview. So talk a little bit about that. Like, what does your job entail? What does it look like every day? Yeah. So I'm a retail specialist for a commercial real estate company. Okay. Um, the, the name of the company is Elephant Realty. Okay. Uh, so to, I guess, bridge the gap. So when I was with Premier Health and I was doing the site selection, the demographic analysis, understanding why an urgent care would be more successful in one site versus another. Mm-hmm. And that was, so you look at a new city and you have to understand everything. Why do people live here and work there? Where do they go grocery shop? Why do they, where do they go eat? Where would their kids go to school? What's the fastest way to drive there? Mm-hmm. Uh, all these different factors that make a city what a city is. And mm-hmm. ultimately, is a direct factor in why some businesses succeed 
in one place and why another business may fail. Mm-hmm. And so I gain incredible insight into that analysis and understanding of a city and a trade area. And ultimately, I, I love that I was doing so much that I wanted to do it for more than just urgent cares. Mm. Like, I want to keep doing this for urgent cares, but I also want to do it for restaurants and bars yeah. and grocery stores. And so I ultimately pivoted out of that spot with Premier Health into a more of a brokerage role, which means that, uh, well, so a brokerage in a broad sense of a commercial real estate company, um, there is a main broker mm-hmm. who calls the owner of the company. And then most of the time, the vast majority of the time, the agents that work in that brokerage are independent contractors. Mm-hmm. So they each are their own boss, but ultimately there is a head broker that um, runs the company, handles the staffing, and then you know you help support the overhead and the cost that mm-hmm. go into that. Mm-hmm. So I decided to move into brokerage, which puts me out. Um, it is a 100% commission-based job. Okay. So I went from five, six years of salary benefits, all that you typically think of a job to a strictly you know, eat what you kill. That's right. Um, commission-based job. Yeah. So So that's what you're in right now? So that is where I'm at right now. Okay. And so you and and so you had said just a second ago, you said the brokerage roles are typically agents that are independent contractors. So that would be you, Correct. right? Okay. So you'll work with businesses. So let's say I'm going to totally throw this out there, but like, let's say a Walgreens is looking to build a new storefront. In theory, they would go to your, to your company for lack of a better word, and could potentially be your client that that company would say, okay, I have a broker for you. Here's Will. And then you would work one-on-one with Walgreens. Yes. Okay. And how, how many of those relationships are you working with at a time at one single time? A lot. Okay. And it's and it's something that you have to manage because you have to give the clients the attention they need. So mm-hmm. you can't just go out and get all the business you could ever want because then you'll sell yourself short and not be able to fulfill exactly. your obligations. Yep. But w- the way that you structure it is correct. You typically, in the role that I'm in, in a retail specialist, I focus on retail real estate. Mm-hmm. And the best way to understand retail is it's anywhere you go and you spend money. Okay. Okay. So, so a Walgreens. So a Walgreens. Okay. A, um, a restaurant, a grocery store, a bowling alley, mm-hmm. any type of transaction like okay. that. What it wouldn't be is an apartment complex. Got it. Um, an office space where lawyers are in mm-hmm. there running their business. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's specifically to retail is what I chose to focus on, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily common for a lot of real estate brokers, especially in a smaller market. You don't want to always limit yourself to doing a specific type of real estate. Sure. I would say I'm one of the few people, at least in Baton Rouge, that focus specifically on retail real estate. Interesting. Okay. Most people will have a Walgreens. They'll have an apartment complex. They'll have a office space, and they're just doing any deals because that's really the, the best way to make the most money is mm-hmm. if you cast a wide net. Yeah. Uh, but it is important to me, one, because I really like retail, and I find it fascinating, interesting, and it's what I, my background was most aligned with. Right. But I wanted to find a way to specialize in that and become an expert in it. Um, so I spent all my time reading, talking to people in that industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, back to your example, yeah. Walgreens was to come into a new market. Um, they would typically work with a broker for that market. Um, now a broker, this is common lingo, 
that gets mixed up. Okay. People use the term broker uh, interchangeably. Um, the official appropriate word broker means that there is one broker typically per company. Okay. That is the head. They started the brokerage and their name is tied to it. They have a specific license you have to carry as the broker. Okay. And then all other agents are agents underneath that broker. Mm-hmm. In commercial real estate, not a residential real estate, but in commercial real estate, most agents will go by the term broker. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. You so me? you're saying all those people that you just named as agents that would be under the one lead broker. Correct. They will call themselves brokers even though they're more so an agent. Technically, as a licensing standpoint, they are agents. Okay, gotcha. Unless they have also gotten a brokerage license, in which case they could be a co-broker. Okay. Um, but just in the course of business, you would call yourself a broker. People would call you a broker, mm-hmm. meaning that you are brokering deals. So mm-hmm. you're connecting buyers and sellers, tenants and landlords. You're brokering that uh, transaction. So okay. you're connecting the pieces to get a deal done, ultimately. Okay. Um, I can't recall where we left off. We le- No, no, you're good. This is like so helpful because for me, I'm so new to this industry and that's part of the reason I go in a little bit blind because I want to yeah. understand as you're explaining it. But I guess going back to the original question around your everyday, um, you, thank you for giving that clarification on being a retail specialist because I think that that's very unique to what you do. And for my listeners, I want them to even know that A, that's an option be that it's not a common option. Like you're saying, not many people do it because they don't want to um, shut themselves off from other opportunities. But three, that it's because it's a passion of yours. You like learning about it. You want to really niche down, which I think is great. Um, but bringing us back to the um, actually part of our question, what does your everyday look like? Because what you're saying is you could have multiple clients, right? And you said you like to balance them so that you really give your client full attention. But that's got to be a lot of juggling, a lot of balls in the air. So what is like, you know, today's Friday, but what is like a random weekday look yeah. like for you? So I always say Mondays and Fridays are the bit, by far the busiest days sure. in the industry. Um, a typical day for me looks like I wake up and immediately have emails and text messages and phone calls to answer to and respond to. Uh, it is a mix of prospecting for new business, talking mm-hmm. to new clients, and it's also a lot of it is servicing clients that we have. So that could mean that I'm representing a landlord. Um, in Baton Rouge, I work with a shopping center called Highland Park Marketplace. Mm-hmm. And they're building a new building. They have space available for lease. So I'm calling prospective tenants and mm-hmm. pitching them on the site, explaining them why this is the best place to be in retail in Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to, to spur interest in that. And ultimately you try and sign a lease and get a deal done to put a tenant in the building. Mm -hmm. You also have the other side of the spectrum where you're working with a tenant. Um, So that would be called like a tenant representation assignment, Mm -hmm. which is what I do with the urgent care still today. So that's where you're actually acting on behalf of a tenant to go out and select sites to find available spots for lease that would put your clients in the best spot to succeed in the market. Right. In the middle of all that is a ton of calls and emails and text messages because at any point you may have, or like as it stands today, I've probably got 35 to 40 
listings, which means situations where I'm working with the landlord mm-hmm. to list their property. Okay. I also have maybe five to ten tenant rep assignments. Everybody at the same time is working to do whatever they're trying to do right. and accomplish their business goals. Um, so I was, in the time that we've sat here, I have five missed calls. <laughs> I have... We've been talking for 25 minutes, everybody. <laughs> I have gotten one offer on a property. Wow. Um, several emails, several text messages. So that's in the blip of 20 minutes what wow. conversations and then countless emails all the while. So it is very much a job where you are, it's very hard to focus on one specific thing. Mm-hmm. You get, you're constantly juggling multiple assignments, multiple relationships. Yeah. And so. Holy smokes. Okay. This is really, really good stuff. I just had no idea that it was that much constant communication and follow-ups and like you said, offers, text messages. So how much of your time are you ever just like on your computer? Very little. Very little. Okay. So that's a good, that's interesting though, because a lot of people are like, I want a job. Maybe they're people people but they want to work hard and, and be like kind of on the clock and urgency and importance, but they don't want to sit on a computer crunching numbers right. all day. This is that job. Okay. <laughs> and some people want that. And yeah. I've had both sides of that. I've had, uh, my, my first job with Chevron was mostly a mm-hmm. desk based. Mm-hmm. So you got there at seven o'clock and you left, you know, whatever the job was done, yeah. but you, you might be out and about some, but not that much. Right. Uh, now, Maybe on a day I'm at my desk for, call it four hours, but wow. but more than not, it's I haven't even been in the office today and I've worked for five hours. Right. And it's been from my phone, from my laptop, Yep. whatever it is. Yep. Uh, so if you like that, and I do, I enjoy that. For me, sitting behind a desk all day can be interesting, mm-hmm. but I get a lot more of excitement and fulfillment out of being out, seeing things, meeting new people, creating new relationships. Right. And... That's what has attracted me to this industry, really. So cool. I love that. Okay. And so this is really, really good stuff. And I and I could probably go on and on and on to really get even more from you. But I really think you've painted a great picture. I think that very tangible example <laughs> from your phone is really helpful. So I appreciate you sharing that. But I can almost guarantee there's someone listening to this right now who's thinking, that's what I want. I want to be in that role in 5, 10, 15 years Knowing what you know now, um, your career went in different directions, right, that ultimately led you here. But if someone knew they wanted to be in your position, what would be, like, the best next step for them, the the most direct line to getting in this type of work? That's a great question. Mm -hmm. What I'll tell you is that I was fortunate in that I got to learn a lot of the ins and outs of real estate while I was in a house with Premier Health. Mm Mm-hmm learning the lingo, making connections, um, building relationships, getting involved in trade organizations. I was doing all that while I wasn't 100% commission-based. Mm-hmm. What you'll find is people that want to go straight into this job, there's definitely a gap. You have to go in, if you don't have an in-house situation where mm-hmm. you're going to be paid a salary, you go straight out of college into a commission-based role and you, don't, you haven't been working to build a network and leads and clients. There's going to be some time where things are going to be thin. Yeah. You're not going to be making a lot of money. And 
if you want it bad enough and you put in that time and you shadowing other real estate companies, you're interning at real with real estate agents, you're building connections within whatever trade organizations that mm-hmm. are applicable to what part of real estate you want to do, then typically I would call it maybe a year to two years that you're really having to hustle. Mm-hmm. But then once it, it hits, I mean, you can, you're there. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of burnout in that okay. first year to two years because you're not making a lot of money typically. The hours are crazy. You're usually working under somebody else. So you're, mm-hmm. you're get that feeling of you have a boss, mm-hmm. even though you're an independent contractor, mm-hmm. that dynamic can be a deterrent to folks. So you have to go in with the understanding that you're going to have to work really hard to get through that. Yeah. That's why there's such a high turnover rate yeah. in the first couple years of the, the business. Right. Um, ultimately, this is mostly a client relationship-based business. Mm-hmm. So the most important thing you can do is to put yourselves in situations where you're around decision makers, business owners. So what I found in Houston and why one of the reasons why I ultimately wanted to come back is that I would go to these networking events in Houston, but it was all people just like me. Mm-hmm. So I was networking with a bunch of recent grads that had no decision-making power that were just there to drink free and hang out <laughs> and eat apps and whatever it was, yeah. which was great. And you make friends that way, but totally. to really progress your career, you have to be around, you have to elevate yourself to be around people that had that capability. Mm-hmm. And it's similar to this job. I can talk with employees of companies all day, but if they're not the ones that are driving the deciding factors to grow or to buy a new building or to relocate, my those relationships may be good on a friendship level, but they're not giving me opportunities to, sure. to do business. Mm-hmm. So find organizations where you're surrounding yourself with older people. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not just staying in your age bracket. That's great advice. Yeah. yeah, that's really great advice. And I told you at the beginning of the podcast, you know, most most of my guests say network, network. But I think narrowing in on, especially in the real estate space, you are. You need to be in front of the decision makers and going to a 20-somethings, 20-something professionals group is great for friendships and, and happy hours, and that's awesome. But in terms of elevating your career and making deals and really getting in front of the right people, you have to push yourself. It's scarier to go to those networking events where it's not just people in your age bracket, but it ultimately will pay dividends. And I would venture to say it will help you with your networking skills because you kind of have to elevate yourself yeah. to really you know, be out of your comfort zone and, and do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. You Putting yourself in a situation where you have to play to that level mm-hmm. and you have to talk with that acumen and have that confidence, that will build your, your confidence and your skills unlike any other peer-to-peer networking situation. Right. Um, I've also found in my experience that when you, older, more successful, experienced people, they recognize that. They recognize that you're taking a leap of faith. And a lot of them, they want to invest in the future, especially mm-hmm. those that are working hard to, to position themselves for that. Sure. So if you go out there and you put yourself in a situation like that, even though it's uncomfortable, you will make a connection that is willing to invest in you and serve as a mentor. Yeah. And as I'm sure is a common thread between all these podcasts, yeah. mentorship, it goes without saying, is one of the most yeah. important things to 
continuing to, to grow and elevate your career. Absolutely. Absolutely. Will, thank you for sharing. I'm sure I've got some pumped up people. Now, for all of you pumped up people, Will, I'm going to ask you, are you comfortable with me sharing your LinkedIn information? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll share that in the show notes. So any of you go tell Will how much you loved this episode. Um, if you're local to Baton Rouge, obviously you're welcome to reach out and just um, continue to get his thoughts on his work. But um, I just wanted to say thank you again for being here and thank you all for listening to So What Do You Do? Thanks for listening. If you loved this episode and are inspired by this nine to fiver, let us know. Subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Screenshot this episode and tag us on social at fourth underscore LLC. We would love to hear what professionals and industries you want to hear from next. Want more career guidance, discovery, and inspiration? Be sure to visit our website, goforthllc.com, and browse our career downloads, read our blogs, and get inspired to go forth.